Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to episode Matt Duchesne of the Cost Pointcast. I'm your host, Trevor Shackles. In the month since our last episode, a lot has happened with good things happening on the ice and frustrating postponements happening off the ice. And to discuss that and our New Year's hopes is first-time guest and host of the Last Word on Sens podcast, it's Alex Metzger. Alex, how's it going? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, how's it going with you? Yeah, it's been good. Um, good to have some time off. And yeah, thanks for coming on. It's I've been on your podcast a few times now, so it's uh, it's great to have a bit of a role reversal this time. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm uh, really happy to see the message and excited to get started here. Absolutely. Now, firstly, I wanted to start off with the World Junior Championships, which had a successful first day on Boxing Day. Although, I mean, with outbreaks all over North American sports, I'm sort of holding my breath for the entire tournament to be played fairly. That being said, Ottawa has Jake Sanderson, Tyler Clevin, Levy Marilainen, Roby Arventi, and Ridley Gregg playing in the tournament. Who are you most excited to see? Uh, I'm excited to see Ridley Gregg, personally. Uh, I think that he obviously is playing down the lineup on a loaded Canada team, but I don't. I think this fits in well because I don't see him being necessarily a top six guy right away in the NHL. And, and I think when we do see that jump from junior to the AHL to the NHL, whenever that may be. I think that uh, he could definitely start in a bottom six role. And I'm curious to see, you know, how he looks like that on a, on a very skilled Canada team where, uh, you know, last night he was kind of playing that third line checking role where uh, obviously the line's still going to be able to contribute offensively. They did in the pre-tournament and, and they looked good last night, but he's a guy I got my eye on just, uh, you know, obviously with junior hockey being canceled last year, some people may not have seen a ton of him, uh, but I, I'm curious to see, you know, what kind of edge he brings and just how he looks in, um, I don't know if I want to say a lesser role, but, you know, not as one of those top six bonafide he's relied on every other shift to go out there because I think that could be an interesting role when he does make it to this Ottawa team in a couple seasons. Absolutely. And I think that's probably the role that he'll have eventually in the NHL anyway. And, you know, anytime you have a prospect on team Canada, they're going to be very much under the microscope. So I think if he has just a few big moments, maybe scores in a, in a big, um, you know, semifinal or final game or something like that, you know, he's going to be getting a lot of attention and a lot of, you know, attention outside of Ottawa as well. So that'll be interesting to see if he, you know, steps up and has some big moments. Um, someone that I was watching a bit last night against uh, Slovakia is Jake Sanderson. And also, of course, Clevin is also on the States. Um, but Sanderson, it seems like he's a man among boys. And, you know, it seemed like that in college as well for the last season and a half. Um are you are you going to be able to watch him at all in the tournament, or um, are you just going to be watching highlights, which I'm sure there will be plenty of? 
Yeah, no, I, I plan on trying to get uh, eyes on, you know, most of the games. This is my favorite, one of my favorite times of the year. Um, you know, I, I've loved this tournament growing up and, and I continue to for even different reasons now. Like, I, I don't even care to watch Canada maybe as much as I would have in, yeah. in years past. I, I really just like getting to see guys like Sanderson. I'm interested to see how Clevin plays in his second World Juniors as well. And, um, you know, so I, Sanderson's one where it's like, even last year, he looked like he was just so good out there. And, you know, I, I think coming off of the pick where we weren't sure what to make of it, or, you know, some people weren't sure as what to make of it at number five at the time, uh, this is starting to look like a steal. Like, um, even I think guys who weren't sure, you know, scouts that weren't sure of the pick at the time are coming around and be like, yes, this guy is going to be very good, and he's very good right now. Um, watching him absolutely dominate the World Juniors is so much fun. We've seen it a couple times with Sense Prospects. Thomas Shabbat in 2016 comes to mind for me, where he just played like 30 minutes for that Canada team. And uh, I would expect that same thing out of Sanderson here, where, and, and like, I, I don't know if you saw the pre tournament game for, of his or not, but he just like effortlessly works the puck out of, out of areas in mm -hmm. the corner where it's like he's got two four checkers on. He makes a simple move, slides by both of them, moves the puck up. It's just, it's so much fun to watch if you like the technical game of hockey. And uh, yes, there will definitely be a lot of Jake Sanderson highlights this tournament, but if you can even watch the stuff that aren't highlights, it, it's a real treat to get to see. Yeah. And that's what's cool is that. You know, going into the 2020 draft, he was touted as the best defensive defenseman. And yet we've seen his offensive side as well, just, you know, from that game last night and also just, you know, the many games he's played in North Dakota. You know, it seems like he's not just a, you know, stay-at-home defenseman. He's actually a guy that can make an impact on both ends of the ice. So that is super exciting. And, um, you know, we can get into him a bit more later at the end of the episode too, but... You know, I I don't want to set my expectations too high, but it's hard not to, right? I mean, he just he just looks so incredible. Um, but besides Greg and and Sanderson, who are certainly the the two most touted Senators prospects amongst the five, um, any thoughts partic in particular on Clevin, Marilainen, or Yerventi? Uh, I'm interested to see what Yerventi looks like. He apparently came just is just off the COVID list now. Yeah. Uh, Finland didn't really mention anything about that at the beginning of the tournament. He just wasn't really dressed for their pre-tournament game <laughs> or, or game one. And they said it was not a healthy scratch. So that yeah. kind of, you know, two and two together kind of leads to the Belleville COVID outbreak. And he was part of that. But it looks like he'll be ready to go for, uh, I believe, today's game as we're recording this on Monday. Um, so it sounds like he should be good to go in the rest of the tournament. I'm not too sure what to expect out of him if he's coming right off of the COVID outbreak. It's a little unfortunate for him, really, because, you know, I think we've seen just in the past, even if you don't have symptoms, it, it's hard to get your legs right underneath you, you know, when you've been just kind of sitting around for 10 to 14 days or whatever quarantining, right? So I, I'm really interested to keep an eye on him. And obviously uh, in net for the Finns there, Berlin, and, uh, you know, he looked pretty good, I thought, in his opening game as well. I try not to take too, too much out of these tournaments. I think it's exciting to watch, but a big thing to remember is this is a six or seven game sample. And for a lot of these guys, like especially like a guy like Ridley Gregg, Team Canada is playing a lot inferior competition for half this tournament. Oh, yeah. And it, it, it's gotten a lot better over the past decade or so. Like you see, even last night, the Czechs really kept that game close for a while until they ran into penalty trouble. Whereas, you know, a couple of years ago, it would have just been a slaughter from the opening puck drop. But 
at the same time, you know, we've seen with other prospects, um, who's the Casey Middlestack comes to mind uh, right off the bat where, you know, we've seen guys tear up this tournament and then struggle to make Curtis Lazar is another great example, I think. Um, so I, I try and keep, you know, in mind that uh, there's definitely stuff to take away, but uh, you know, we don't want to come out of a six or seven game sample where three or four of the games were against impure competition being like, this guy is going to be an absolute stud right away at the NHL. Even if some of the lesser known guys look uh, pretty good. Absolutely. Yeah. And you were mentioning before about just watching the tournament for, you know, other countries. And it is funny because, you know, I think growing up in elementary and high school, I certainly was rooting hard for Canada every time. And, you know, since then, it's just, you know, I I found it hard to be like upset anytime Canada's losing or ends up losing. Like when Czech took the, or Czechia, I guess, uh, when they took the lead 3-1 last night, you know, I was just sort of like, more intrigued. I was like, Ooh, Canada's losing, right? Like, so it's more just fun to watch as you're saying. And, um, it is cool that the five prospects that Ottawa have for this tournament, like they're all pretty high picks. Um, I guess Marilyn is the lowest and he's a third rounder, but he's still pretty highly thought of, um, among senators fans. So it's, you know, it's, it's always fun. And, um, I, I, I don't know if you have any predictions for the tournament. I don't really, right off the bat, I'm going to say, I'm going to say U.S. goes for a repeat, but that is based in just gut reaction right now. I'm going to say Sweden wins it. They haven't, they haven't, they've had a real tough time meddling in the past couple of years, past decade or so. They don't have a goal that's been Finland has three, Canada has three, and U.S. has three over the past nine years. I think Sweden Uh, only has two ever. Yeah, yes. And yeah, and they don't even have like, they they really struggle to get out of that quarterfinal, semifinal round. So uh, I like the Sweden team this year, though. I'll say they go all the way. I'll say they beat Canada and U.S. takes the bronze. But I think there is – Russia took a bit of a step back. I don't think they really took their ideal team this year. But uh, this feels like the most wide open it's been in a little while in terms of the top three or four. And Finland's got a good team too. You can't – never underestimate the Finns in an international tournament, right? Oh, never. They they really up their game for these tournaments, which is nice. So anyway, it should be fun to watch. Hopefully, you know, cross my fingers that – this can go on without a hitch and, and no um, shutdowns and postponements and stuff. But yeah, absolutely. The other thing I want to mention is there's a ton of draft eligible prospects. It feels like this year mm-hmm. too compared to other years. So, you know, if anyone's not sure if, you know, it's not Canada playing or whatever, uh, you know, like the Slovaks, the Czechs, they all have, they both have a couple guys that are uh, draft eligible and in the range that, you know, Ottawa might be drafting this year and that, you know, five to 10 range. Finland's got, you know, guys like Brad Lambert as well on the team. Who's his draft is his stock has fallen since last year. So uh, it's definitely a great tournament to, to check out, even if it's not Canada that you're watching. Mm-hmm. And one other name I got to mention is Matvey Michkov for Russia. I mean, I think he's 2023 draft eligible, yep. incredibly tiny kid, but man, he is, he's even doing well in the KHL um, and is lighting up the, the junior league in Russia as well. He's wow. He's something else. Yeah, and Connor Bedard is a 2023 draft eligible in Canada as well. So yeah. it's not not too often you get one guy who's two years younger, but two in the same tournament, which is really cool to see. So yeah, there's there's a lot of young talent that uh, should be here for a couple of years, and that's exciting to watch, I think, as well. Certainly, certainly. Now, coming back to the NHL roster, in the month since the last Cost Per Point guest episode, Ottawa really turned things around and were 5-2-1 in their last eight games before the shutdown. And I guess they were on a 5 um, five. 2-0 stretch um, because they lost, or no, I guess 5-2-1 five, 
five and one stretch because they lost their their last two games. Um, and leading the way was the top of their roster, you know, with guys like Brady Kachuk, Josh Norris, Drake Batherson, Tim Stutzla, Thomas Shabbat, and Artem Zub. Um, those those six really carried the team. And what can you say about how well their top guys are playing right now? Yeah, it's been kind of incredible to watch, right? Uh, you know, I think. A lot of people heading into this year said if Ottawa was going to have a chance competing in games, it was going to have to be the young guys taking another step forward and really controlling play because, you know, I think as we'll get to, the bottom of that roster just isn't good enough, frankly put. And, uh, you know, I, I think there was it was fair to question whether or not the top guys were going to be able to take that step. But, uh, wow, they have really paid off in spades so far. Uh, Drake Batherson, uh, you know, I, I've been meaning to write a piece on him and I just haven't got around to it. But the question I had heading into the year was, he, is he a legit first line forward? That's no longer the question for me. That is clear. It's how elite is he? Because yeah. I think he is right now, and obviously it's so hard to say with one season's worth, but he is making a case that he is a top 20 winger in the NHL right now. He has been that good. Josh Norris, as you know, he's he's gone through slumps throughout this year, but I thought he's looked overall very strong as well in a role where he's been the clear number one guy having to take it. And, Brady Kachuk has just kind of come as advertised again. I think he's seeing a bit of a scoring boost, which most people would have expected. But, you know, he's just being that very physical, play-driving left winger who, you know, he's not going to do anything that really makes – like, he's not going to make a massive dangle or anything, but he just does all the small stuff really well, and it really pays off. And then, you know, obviously down the line, you look at Tim Stutzla, who's uh, sometimes been the odd man out here in that Ottawa top six for only having, you know, four really, really good forwards, I would mm-hmm. say. But, uh, you know, he he's really shown, I think, that he can play as well. And it'll be really interesting to see once they get a couple more good forwards up with them, uh, you know, what he can do. But I, I've been super impressed with, uh, you know, the top of this lineup as a whole. I, it feels like anytime they're winning, it's those guys dragging them to it. And I think that's what you want to see in a year like this, right? Like, I don't think it's uh, unreasonable to say it's been a disappointing year overall. That start was really bad. Somehow they had a worse start than last year after 20 games. <laughs> um, but, you know, if if the team's going to be winning, you want to see the young guys charging the way. And, and that's in large part what's been happening so far. So I, I think it's been really encouraging this last, you know, the two to three weeks that they were actually playing games. Mm-hmm. And I don't think we can say any proclamations about like the team as a whole just from that stretch, but as you mentioned, I mean, so many of these players have just had phenomenal stretches. And I just want to read for the listeners point totals from five of these guys that they had in, in a certain amount of games. So in eight games, Batherson had 16 points. In six games, Shabbat had nine. In 11 games, Norris had 12. In five games, Stutzla had six. And in 11 games, Kachuk had 15. So all of those guys had over a point a game for, you know, Stutzla was only five games, but, you know, Kachuk, 15 points in 11 games. I don't... I don't remember a time, you know, maybe like in Kachuk's very first season, um, in the first like month or so, I think he was on a bit of a bender. So, but besides that, hadn't really been that elite offensively. And it's so nice to see that they can have some of this top end talent that can actually score some goals. And, you know, they have a guy like Norris who looks like an elite goal scorer. He's on pace for over 40 goals, I believe at this point, or maybe like exactly 40. And as you're mentioning with, with Batherson, you know, a top 20 winger or something, he, I always laughed at the comparisons to, you know, anytime there was a right winger that was promising, it was, oh, this, this guy could be the next Mark Stone, like Sokolov um, had some comparisons for that as well. And I still don't think it's fair because I don't think Batherson has the defensive component that Stone does, 
but in terms of point production, you know, it's been pretty on on par at least for the last, you know, I guess 50, 60 games or whatever it is. So that is certainly something exciting and you know, Shabbat scored his first goal, I guess, two games ago now. And uh, I know a lot of people were, I guess, a bit disappointed that he had, hadn't had scored to that point. But overall, his point totals are still solid and his overall game is, is great anyway. Like, we know that points don't dictate how good a defenseman is anyway. So it's... Especially goals. It's yeah, especially goals, goals right? right? I mean, it's... Yeah, I'd, I'd rather him shooting less, if I'm being totally honest. Like, yeah. That is just such a low... Give it to Norris. Chance of show. Exactly, right? So... Yeah, so it's, you know, all of a sudden a few of these guys do feel like top-end players where they didn't necessarily in the past, like like you were mentioning, we weren't sure if Batherson was going to be that guy or even if Norris. I mean, Norris was, was like a, I think he was on pace for 50 points or something last year, which is solid, but it's not as good as he's been this year. Um, and even like a guy like Tim Stutzla, he's he's much better defensively this season. And, and I guess... We can briefly uh, talk about this as well with Strzlet center. What have you noticed with him at center, and, and do you think he can actually stick there long term? I think he can. I think he's looked pretty comfortable there. Uh, you know, I, I didn't get to see the first game or two that he moved. I, I was out, out, but I, I tried to watch some of the highlights, and all the feedback I got was that he looked very natural there and more comfortable than he did on the wings at times. And I, I think part of that is he probably has a little more space in the in the middle of the ice to try and work with uh, with the puck because you know we've seen it so many times he's he's magic with the puck on his stick and he gets the places when he gets open where he can get the puck on his stick. But you know he's a guy you want controlling the play for you, and, and if the centerman can do that more often, uh, I think it's great. And, and you know, kind of to your point with these point totals too. The other thing I wanted to bring up was with these forwards, uh, they're leading the team in underlying numbers as well, which is really encouraging to see. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Ottawa's underlying numbers in general aren't exactly encouraging. Um, there's no, t- I think there's no forward over 50% in Corsi 4, and <laughs> uh, only Stutzla and Batherson are above 50% in expected goals for, but Stutzla's first in expected goals, Batherson's second, Norris is fourth, Kachuk is sixth among all sense forwards. Uh, and then their line mates are the other two guys, like it's Chris Tierney, Connor Brown, who, you know, Connor Brown's been a staple to Stutzla a lot this year. So, you know, he's been up there for good reason as well. But, um, yeah, going back to the Stutzla at center thing, I, I absolutely think he can stick, especially with how many uh, wing prospects it feels like the Sens have coming. You know, um, I don't know how you feel about Formington. I think he's been, uh, I don't want to say disappointing, but he's been a third liner this year, and he's been one of the few guys who I don't think has really taken the jump that maybe you were looking for this year. Mm-hmm. But there's still lots of names in the minors that are going to be ready when you hear maximum two i would not mind seeing uh, sutzla get an extended look at center and if you can get him a, a decent winger or two and I, I find you know even in free agency finding a good winger is a lot easier than finding a good center or cheaper than finding a good center i should say um you know i i like the idea of keeping him center i like in the the short sample of what i've seen of him playing in the middle i think it's looked great the team has had success when he's doing it so i don't see right now a reason to to stray away from that yeah, and I think long term, it's much more, it's much more intriguing having Norris, Stritzlet, and Pinto down the middle, where you know maybe maybe Pinto is, maybe he's not like a third line center. Hopefully, he's better than that. But if you're a really good team, you have better guys playing down in the lineup because you have too much talent, right? So it's not a bad thing to have him on that third line. Um, and as you're mentioning, hopefully. 
they can get better players to play with Stutzla eventually as well. Or maybe Stutzla overtakes Norris and becomes the first-line center. So I think either one of those situations would be nice. Um, yeah, but just and, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Right, and having too, too many centers is a good thing because you yeah. can load them up on the wing for a shift or two as well, right? Like, I know sure. I'm sure people don't care to hear about Toronto too much, but they like loading up that Matthews, Nylander, Tavares, or Matthews, Tavares, Marner for a shift or two here and there, and it's extremely effective. So if Ottawa can do something similar to that, I think that's you know just great for the the on ice product. For sure, and yeah, I think I think overall I'd still like them to acquire another top end talent, whether that be through the draft, which is the most likely, or somehow through a trade. Having said that, I am much more optimistic about this core that they have just because they're, they're showing that they can be top players at least. Um, so if you're looking for some optimism from this season, that is certainly something. However, on the flip side of things, the depth of their roster is certainly, it's pretty terrible as always. And it, that's something that really crushes them. And it's crushed them for years. And I thought we could go through some of the lines just quickly. We don't have to talk about everyone for a long time, but go through some of the lines and pairings and talk about who's actually worth keeping beyond the next few months. So firstly, we, we briefly mentioned Alex Formanton and Connor Brown, but I'm assuming you'd still like to keep them here. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, if someone's offering a haul for Connor, a player like Connor Brown, I would totally be open to moving him. He's not someone I think they need to actively shop because he can slide down to your fourth line as you get better. And I would be totally okay with that. Um, Obviously, he's a little expensive beyond your fourth line, but that's the nice thing about having uh, rookie contracts for the first three years or so is that you don't need to worry about that salary cap. Um, so, yeah, I, I would keep both of them. I know there's been talk about trading Formanton. If it was in a package to get one of those high-end guys like you just said, that would be the case where I'd be very open to moving him. But just moving him for picks or whatever, I, I, I would rather not. Um, I, I don't know. I, I'm in the middle with Formanton. I don't think... I'm not as sold he has another level really uh, left in his game. But that being said, if he's an effective penalty killer with a ton of speed who plays on your third line, maybe jumps up to your second line when needed, that's a very useful player to have. And, um, you know, that's someone who, as your team gets good, you're going to want up and down your lineup. He reminds me a lot, a lot of uh, Andreas Athanasiu, who I think fits really well into his role in the Kings right now on that kind of second slash third line role where he can use the speed to to be an issue and then on the penalty kill as well so yeah i would definitely i would definitely keep both of them unless it's uh just a trade that you can't refuse really like if someone's offering a first round pick for connor brown you go and take that every day when you need mealtime inspiration it's worth shopping kroger where you'll find over thirty thousand mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie and no matter what tasty choice you make you'll enjoy our everyday low prices plus extra ways to save like digital coupons worth over six hundred dollars each week you can also save up to one dollar off per gallon at the pump with fuel points more savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping kroger worth it every time kroger fresh for everyone fuel restrictions apply for sure, yeah. And I think with Formington, you know, he showed in the AHL that he really can score. Um, I was trying to find the numbers here, but I, cu I couldn't find it. I think he had 29 goals, though. So I don't know if he's necessarily, necessarily going to even be like a 20-goal scorer in the NHL, but I do think he has that potential. Um, you know, we saw... I, <laughs> I can't remember if it was last game or, or two games ago. I, I've lost track of time now, but... Um, he recently scored on a breakaway, and it wasn't even that nice of a shot, but if he can just bury some more of those chances, 
you know, that's easy, easily 15 goals right there. So I, like you're saying, I, I think it'd be nice to have him just on the third line or something, but um, Brown as well. I think he's a good veteran to have. Um, moving to the third line though, there's Zach, Zach Sanford, Dylan Gambrell, and Austin Watson. Are any of them worth keeping? No. Um, <laughs> sorry, no. I, I mean, like, they're all fine NHL players, but uh, I, this is this is where, and I'll try not to rant too much here, this is where I really laugh when being online and going through a rebuild. There's not much to cheer for, so when these two guys, these guys are good, and they seem like good enough people, you know, like in the locker room, there's been no complaints about any of them. Um, you know, people always get really attached to them and everything. It's like, okay, well, if it's not the top six, that's an issue. And it's not the bottom six that's an issue. Why is this team in 30th place for the fourth year running? And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I like, I think Gambrell is a pretty good waiver pickup. Um, but he was exactly that. The San Jose Sharks, I or think he, they trade a seventh. A seventh, maybe. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, so it's basically the same thing. He, he's a fine 12th or 13th forward, but unless you're re-signing him to be that next year, you probably don't need to keep him around. Uh, Sanford, same kind of thing. I bet I've liked what he's brought to the bottom six. If he's your 11th or 12th forward, I don't think it's too big of a deal. But, you know, again, like if you get offered something at the deadline, probably take it unless it's a seventh round. Like if you get like a third or a fourth offered, you're taking that for Zach Sanford, I, I think. Like I, I, you can find Zach Sanford as a free agency and, uh, you know, Austin Watson as well. I think Watson's been better than I expected when he traded. they traded for him. Still not someone I think you need to trade for, given how how often he's hurt. And granted, I, like, I don't know how you feel, but I know people will say, well, he's only hurt because he puts his body on the line and, you know, loves the team or whatever. And it's like, yes, that's good. But also, you know, sometimes the, the best skill is availability. And if you're never available because you're hurt all the time, what are you bringing to this team? So all three of those guys are guys where I think they're replaceable enough with guys in free agency. If they bring them back at a cheap ticket, I'm not going to complain, but I wouldn't, I don't think all three of them should be brought back next year. For sure. And (laughs) the sad thing is that, you know, Sanford was traded for Logan Brown and not to bring up Logan Brown all the time, but I think they have the same, same amount of points. Uh, Brown has six points in only 10 games and I think Sanford has six points or maybe even five points. Um, my computer's very slow here, so I'm not going to bother to look it up. But I know he had either five or six points in way more games. And, yeah, with Watson, you know, he's, he's signed for another year. And I'm, I'm fine with keeping him around as, as a fourth liner. Like, he's not a long-term solution. And then Gabriel, same thing. Like, I, I, I'd i be kind of surprised if they keep him next year just because they they essentially got him because they needed bodies. So... Nothing. Those three are the worst, uh, like bottom three for all four sense forwards this year. Of course, four expected wolves. If yeah, so that, that probably tells you more, enough that it needs, especially as a third line. Yeah. I would say that should be more of a fourth line than anything, but they're not used like that either. Yeah, it's, well, and who knows? I mean, I was just going off of TSN 1200's um, line, so you know, perhaps they're actually the fourth. But anyway, um, fourth line listed was Nick Paul, Chris Tierney, and Tyler Ennis. I like Nick Paul. Um, again, it, it all really depends on the contract and what the alternatives are. Uh, I think out of those three, Nick Paul's the one I would want to keep the most. He's a very versatile forward. We've seen him play up on the second line this year. We've seen him play down on the fourth line. Uh, and he can kind of do it all effectively for a short stretch if you need him to. 
so he's definitely one I would keep. I know he's had a pretty disappointing season this year, uh, like to the point where I didn't even realize how bad his point totals were, but uh, I'm just pulling them up right now real quick. He has four goals and two assists for six points in 28 games. I checked Oof. Sanford has seven points in 28 games. So if we're uh, ripping on Sanford, I, I feel like I do need to point out that Nick Paul has uh, <laughs> struggled in the point department as well. Um, but, you know, I, I thought last year we saw him kind of break out as well. So he's a guy that I wouldn't mind and break out 20 points in 56 games. I think he's a 20 to 30 point guy. And if that's playing on your fourth line, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, in my opinion, uh, Chris Tierney's just a warm body. He feel, he's felt like that for the last year or two. So ever since he got traded here, really, I think this is probably his last year in Ottawa. I think he gets moved at the deadline for a mid to late round pick and, and that's fine. He's been a useful enough player, but uh, he's definitely not someone I think they need to, to really keep. And, um, Tyler Ennis, I don't feel strongly one way or the other. I think he's a good 13 forward. I, both time they've signed him, I really like the move of just picking him up for cheap. But uh, again, I think there's plenty of Tyler Ennis's out there every offseason. So you don't need to make it a priority to go sign him. If you need some depth, he's a fine guy to have. Yeah, and what's interesting with Ennis is that he only has the one goal in 26 games, but he also has 11 assists. So like, you know, 12, 12 points in, in 26 games. That's that's not too bad at all. Um, you know, he's, what is he here? He's seventh on the team in scoring and then yeah as you're saying with Tierney warm body Nick Paul I think as long as people just don't expect him to be like a top nine forward like a guy who can play in the second and third line he is certainly not that um you know like you're saying with with six points he's certainly more of a fourth liner and maybe if you need him to play in the third line sometimes that's fine but I still like him just on the fourth line defensive role penalty killer that kind of thing i think that's totally fine and i and i do hope they keep him he's a ufa in the summer so i i'd like to for them to resign him as long as it's you know not more than like three million or something i don't think he's he's worth too much but yeah anything else to say about any of the depth forwards uh not really other than i think even the guys that i you know that we've mentioned we would keep in nick paul and guys like that, I think it's important to remember that, uh, you know, if better guys come around, take it. Uh, yeah. Know, again, I, I know it's it's hard not to get attached to players as fans. Uh, that's just, you know, what you're supposed to do. It's nothing wrong with that or anything. But um, this team has been, you know, probably the worst team collectively over the past four years or so, I would imagine, if you put all the point totals together, right there with Buffalo and Detroit at least. Um, you know, there's a reason that they're bottom. And, you know, sometimes you got to move these players out. Uh, I, I just hope we see a bit of a change. I think we will. Just, you know, even with all the guys coming from Belleville that are that are going to push to make this lineup, um, I, I think it'll be a new-look Senators team, you know, next year. Uh, even maybe at the end of this year at some point. Yeah, definitely. And moving on to some of the defensemen, um, I guess we can start with some of the, the veteran uh, defensemen. You know, guys like Nick Holden and Nikita Zaitsev. Um, either of them, are they worth keeping? Uh, I don't mind Nick Holden. Again, I think he's a fine six slash seven guy. He can play both sides. Um, I haven't been like thrilled with him, but I haven't been like disappointed either. I thought, you know, when they traded Dadnov, I couldn't believe they got off of that contract, got a player and a pick for it. Um, so you know, I think he's been fine. Again, he's a guy where if, um, 
you move someone like Zaitsev, which I would actively be looking to get rid of. Uh, I don't know if you know anyone who follows me on Twitter probably knows my feelings on Nikita Zaitsev <laughs> are uh, pretty strong in one way, and that is that he is not a good hockey player. Uh, I don't mean to rip on the guy. I'm sure he's a good dude. I, you know, he seems like a, a quiet guy in the locker room who just puts his head down and gets to work. Um, but he's, his work is not very good on the ice as a top four defenseman, and I would I would love to see him move down a little bit, if not just off the, off this team. So uh, Nikita Zaitsev is definitely someone I think they should move on from. Uh, Nick Holden seems like an okay placeholder if you're not sure uh, that both JBD and Lassie Thompson are going to be ready for next year. Maybe you re-sign Nick Holden for one more year. He can play on the right side. It's a, a bit of a stopgap for one of those two guys. Um, but yeah, I think... If you have any chance of moving Nikita Zaitsev, I know people brought up a buyout uh, a couple times this year. I don't know if that'll happen just with the financial situation of everything. But if you if there's any team that is even willing to just take the contract for free, or even if you took back a year of bad salary, kind of like Arizona did often, I found this year, you take that and run because uh, again, I can't. I try not to rip on the guy too much, but he's just he actively hurts his team in a top four role. I agreed on all fronts. I don't want to talk too much about it um, just because I don't want to feel like we're piling on there. But, you know, could have said it any better myself. And how about guys like Victor Mete and Dylan Hetherington? Uh, Hetherington, I, he's like an eighth defenseman. <laughs> God, yeah. God, I don't know. He hasn't, he, he, I haven't noticed him a lot when he's played. And I think that's probably, like, the best thing you can say for a guy like him. Um, you know, he doesn't really have the skill to do much, so he just replies on the chip-and-go kind of plays, which is fine for the five games that you need him, but he shouldn't be a full-time staple in your defense core, I don't think, either. Um, so, yeah, he, he's a guy where if they sign him to a two-way deal again next year and he's their eighth defenseman or whatever, I'm not going to complain. Uh, if he's getting regular minutes somehow for this team in the next season <laughs> or even late this season, uh, there's probably a bit of an issue. Um, Victor Mete is a guy that I really, I want to like, but man, he's had a disappointing year this year, eh? Like, yeah. I really, really, really liked what he brought at the end of last year when they waiver claimed him. I thought it was a, a smart pickup. He's not a big body, but he uses his body, gets into the play, is really aggressive, but not in a way of just, like, taking off a dude's head or something like that. He's aggressive, and he gets into his body, gets into the hard area, gets the puck, and moves out, and then, sure, he'll take a hit, but he's already got the puck out. This year, I just feel like there's been something missing. It feels like part of it, I think, is, again, his partner. He's been a lot with Zaitsev, and those two just don't work together. But he just feels like he's trying to, like, overcompensate almost and do way too much in the defensive zone where he just gets himself way out of position. And just I find he's running around way too much where he didn't do that last year. So Mete, I think... It, it depends what the, the big plan is, because obviously Sanderson's going to need some ice time. Shabbat's on the left side. Uh, if you wanted to, say, get rid of Mete so Branstrom has a fair shot at, say, the third pairing, I would be totally okay with that. Um, that all just kind of relies on what they're doing with Branstrom, because at this point, who knows, right? Like, this organization has been up and down with him for years now, so. Right, and we can get into Branstrom in a second. Um but yeah, specifically with Mete, it is a bit disappointing that he hasn't really, he had a golden opportunity to essentially be like a top four guy, um, if not, worst case scenario, a top six guy. And I don't think they did him any favors by, you know, playing with Nikita Zaitsev and 
I, you know, pretty much any any player he was playing with wasn't going to be good enough for him, I guess. So it's tough. I, I get it, but he definitely looked much better last season. And yeah, I mean, I guess if you have any specific thoughts on the last three guys, which are more prospects like JBD, Thompson, and Brandstrom, um, I mean, I'm assuming you wouldn't be advocating for just cutting these guys. So they're a bit different scenarios, but I don't know any specific thoughts on either of them in terms of their long-term outlook or, you know, whether they're going to be playing in, in more games the rest of the season. Uh, I would be surprised if we, if one of JPD or Thompson weren't up for the rest of the season. Uh, and what I mean by that is even if they think JB needs, JBD needs to be sent down in a month, which I think he's been fine. Uh, I don't know about you. I, I think he's looked good out there. He's made some mistakes, but again, like any 20, what is he, 20, 21, like any, anyone in the NHL is going to do that in their first year. Uh, it was kind of the same with Thompson. I didn't think Thompson was amazing, but I didn't think he was bad either. And that's a step up from a couple of the guys they have on this blue line. Um, with Branstrom, and I've said so many times that I just like, I, I try, it's, it's the opposite of Zaitsev really, where it's like, I just, I cannot wrap my head how he is not playing this year in the NHL. Like it just, yeah. I can't believe he didn't play last year. I can't believe he didn't play the year before. Every time this guy's come up, he's looked like a good NHL player. And every time this team just goes, no, we're going to put another roadblock in the way, whether that's sending him down the AHL because the, you forced him with Ron Hainsey and he was playing pretty well with Ron Hainsey. Uh, or, you know, then he finally gets back up, looks good again. He goes, no, we're going to bring in another veteran to block your way. Uh, and then, you know, last year, him and Mete looked really good, alternating in that second and third pair rolling at the end of the line, even in the first pair, because Thomas Chabot was out at times, you know? So he stepped up. They go, no, we're going to bring in Michael Delzato, which does the exact same thing those two guys I completely forgot he even existed. It's like, and like, again, like, Delzato seems like a great guy in the room, but for God's sakes, like it's just part of the reason with Victor Mete, I think, that it hasn't worked out this year is that he's not really suited to be a defensive defenseman. And it kind of felt like that's what they wanted him to be with Shabbat. You know, Shabbat's taken a lot of minutes just doing everything. Um, but then after that, you know, with Dozato, he's not a defensive defenseman. So on the left side, you have Victor Mete, and they tried to force him into more of a defensive role. That's never really what he's been good at. He's been good at moving the puck, neutral zone, and into the offensive zone. Branchum's the same way, but I think Branchum's actually decent in the defensive zone. So the fact that he hasn't played just, it blows my mind. And, you know, I, I try to stop myself from ranting about it too much, but I haven't in a while. So I'll get it out here because it just, he is a good NHL defenseman. And I think at this point, if you want to argue with Sanderson coming, he's a trade chip, I would agree. But you need to build his value back up to where teams can see him being a top four defenseman. Because sending him to the AHL and crushing his value at every possible moment, you can't then turn around and ask for a first-round pick or a top-six forward for him as the centerpiece of your deal, you know? Yeah, I, I don't know if he'd necessarily even get more than Logan Brown did last season, right? Because, I mean, I guess he's he's a year younger than Brown, so if they try to trade him in the summer, that'll be they'll be the same age when, when Brown was traded. So, yeah, like maybe they're getting like a third-round pick for him if they trade him or something. That's just not worth it, so... I think long-term, it's tough to see him fitting in with DJ Smith because he's certainly not a DJ Smith kind of player. And it does help that it seems like Mete is going to be the odd man out, you know, in the next few months or in the offseason. So there is 
a potential spot for him, even if it's just on the third pairing. But um, I don't like his long-term outlook, at least in Ottawa. As you're saying, I think he can be an NHL player. But uh, yeah, it, it's it's tough for for all the for all the people who like are uh, short kings in the NHL, like Brandstrom. But anyway, it it is interesting when we look at we're talking about all these depth players and almost all of them we are saying that they are movable, you know, except for the last few guys who are prospects that we're actually talking about, but the actual guys who've been around for a few seasons, there's not many of them that are are worth keeping around. So (laughs) if Ottawa's looking for where the problems are, that's problem number one. Now we don't have to talk too long about this next topic, although I did want to briefly mention it. And that is the NHL players not going to the 2022 Olympics. Do you think it was the right call? And would you like to, would you like them to see, Sorry, would you like to eventually see him go in 2026? I think it was the right call, you know, with the new variant propping up here. Obviously, look how many games they've had to cancel. And God forbid anyone test positive all over there and has to quarantine in China for three, four, five weeks. Like, that's what the reports were or the rumors were. You know, that would just kill your season if you had to sit over there for four or five weeks, you know. Um, so I definitely think it was the right call. It's disappointing. Um I, I do, I like best on best hockey. I, I do want to see them go back. Um, you know, I would be an advocate of the World Cup uh, starting up again and trying again. I, I really do think that uh, there's a there's a way to make the World Cup mean more than it did the first time. And I think the best way for that is make it so it's not so damn obvious it's just about money. Uh, you know, last time it was very painfully obvious yeah. that the NHL was putting that together because they got the money from it, you know? If you, the way, the re- and I, I forget who I heard this from, it might have been on the radio, but the reason the Olympics work so well is because they have everyone sold that it's for the love of the game and it's all the countries coming together as one. Whereas in reality, the uh, IOC makes billions of dollars off of this. They are filthy, stinking rich. It's one of the most just process organizations, really, when you look into it. Um, but, you know, th- that's a whole separate story. I think if... The NHL really built a World Cup, and I didn't even I didn't even mind the Team Europe and Team North America. I know some people thought they were gimmicky. If you want to get rid of them, that's fine. I really don't care. But they just they need to actually stick with it. You need to have it every four years, and you need to sell it as more than just a money grab in Toronto. You know, have it in Europe, have it in Russia. You know, have it in these European countries, so it actually feels like a world tournament, not just something you threw together in North America. So. Um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that they're not going to the Olympics. I think this is kind of the golden age too for uh, you know USA has a really good team. Sweden's got a pretty good team. I think this could be like the best Finland team we've seen in a very long time. And hell, even Russia, their forwards are stacked. They're they're really weak down the middle, but they have you know Kaprasov, Kucherov, Panarin, uh, Malkin, Ovechkin. Obviously, like they, they, there was just a bunch of teams that would have been really good. So uh, it is disappointing they're not going, but I, I think it's absolutely the right call. Just given how this season is going and, you know, what this uh, new variant is looking like. Yeah, with the amount of postponed games, I mean, they really need that time to to make up those games. And what's crazy is that even if they do go in 2026, it'll be 12 years between NHL appearances. So from 2014 to 2026, I mean, that's... Some guys' whole careers span that long. And, um, you know, they're... A guy like Steven Stamkos, I don't. I'm pretty sure he never got to go because 2010 he was he wasn't selected. I think 2014, 2014 maybe he was he injured or something, leg. or just he broke his leg a week before it happened. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So this is a guy who is like 
a surefire Hall of Famer, yet is never going to get a chance to go to the Olympics. Like, he probably wouldn't be making it in 2026. So there's just some guys that <clears throat> it's really, really unfortunate because I know for a fact that a lot of them, you know, growing up, dreamed about playing in the Olympics. I think every hockey player does, you know, representing their country. So, yeah, I think if they do have some sort of World Cup of Hockey, if it is consistent, I think I'd be fine with that. But, yeah, you really need to build that up. You can't just have, like, these one-offs where I think they had one in 2004 or 2005, too, which, you know, was fun, but you can't go, like, 11 years between appearances for it. So, um, you know, it's, it's too bad because international hockey really can be something great and you know we're, we're getting to a stage where more countries can actually participate you know it's you know, you're seeing countries like latvia and austria they're actually having some some better players switzerland as well um and if you can get to a level where it's not just canada us russia sweden finland like those five then you know that would be fantastic yeah like even uh 10 years ago when i was watching the world juniors uh, Germany made the tournament and they played Canada on Boxing Day and it was I think a 13 nothing win for Canada. Yeah. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen anymore, you know? Like no. uh, I think last year was a bit of a blow in the World Juniors, but that was because half the team had COVID. They were coming off a of back-to-back and yeah. still still played like I think 30 minutes that night. Um, <laughs> but you know, you know like in a, in a, even in an Olympic tournament this year like they would have Stutzla, Smartest Side or Dry Side or like a team like Germany can actually give another team, you know, some scares and yeah. that's, you know, really nice. And international hockey is a lot of fun to watch. Uh, I, I like, I think the refing is 10 times better in international hockey than it is in the, the NHL, which is like the rule, the way they enforce the rules, uh, the rule book, you know, the way they call headshots, all that stuff is mm, way better. Yeah. So uh, yeah, it, it's very disappointing. Um, I, I get it. Like, it's not like this is the most important thing COVID has disrupted. There are a lot no. more serious things. So on that, on that standpoint, I do get it, but yeah, I do hope that, you know, they find a way to get some best on best hockey that actually means something. And, um, you know, as to the world cup, like, again, people say, well, it doesn't mean anything. The Olympics didn't mean, you know, thing, anything, you know, the world cup used to mean all of it back in the eighties, the Canada cup, you know, that used to be yeah, the biggest yeah, exactly. thing, right? So you just got to stick, stick with it, build it up, you know, maybe even make it every three years instead of four. Um, I, I don't know. Like you just got to do something to make it obvious that, you know, you care about the hockey and not just the money aspect of it. And, and I think, you know, you would see some definite, definite uh, engagement in it for both players and fans. Yeah. Agreed on all fronts there. Now, for our last segment, I want to do a bit of a Christmas slash New Year's draft where we pick three wishes slash presents, I guess, in, in 2022 that we're hoping for. Um, hopefully, you've got a few things in mind, and I'll let you go first um, with the first overall pick here. So what is something that you're wishing for in 2022? Sounds good. Uh, mine, the first one, we've already kind of touched on it this episode, so I will try not to go too in deep with it, but it is less Zaitsev, time on ice, <laughs> is the biggest thing I want to see in 2022. Uh, I don't care if he's healthy scratch or not. I think that even playing him in a third-pair role would do him and this team a lot of benefits. Um, he is just not a good defensive player. He treats the puck like an active grenade, and he loses the guy, the man he's supposed to be taking quite often. That being said, I think at the end of last year, in that shortened season, we saw a bit of a um, upside. I don't know if upside's the right word, but we saw some offensive skill from him. He got the puck to the net, and he got a bunch of assists and goals just because it hit his man or the defenseman in front and bounced to the net. And 
That's not a bad thing from a third-pair defenseman. Just keep the puck in the zone, move it towards the net, get a chance, get a rebound. Uh, I think he could do that with, you know, even a Victor Mete on a third pair where they're not, it's a lot of offensive zone starts. You don't need to start them in their own end very often. Don't ask them to do too much defensively. Get Zaitsev off the penalty kill. And for those people who are saying, well, he plays a lot of minutes, who are you going to replace it with? Artem Zub is one of the best defenders I've ever seen. He is one of the, like, actually best, like, in his own end, just being able to strip pucks from people, know where he's supposed to go with the breakup pass. That that all looks great. I already think JBD and Lassie Thompson look pretty good, and Nick Holden's not bad at that stuff either. So uh, my first thing is less sights of time on ice. I think it would benefit him and the team. I am certainly going to go go a greedier route, and with my with – my, um first selection and second selection overall i'm gonna say that ottawa hope that ottawa wins the lottery Uh, i think they're due for it you know they've they've never they've never actually moved up in the lottery um i guess technically san jose's pick moved from third to second but didn't really count because they had second and third overall and then they ended up picking third and fifth so i don't really count that um but yeah i think if they whether they got Shane Wright or, or someone else, I think just getting that another one of those top guys is so crucial um, because man, they really cannot afford to flub it with a guy, you know, picking another like Tyler Boucher or something. Um, not that, not that Boucher is necessarily going to be a bust, but I just don't see him as like a potential top player. So if they can get another top center, top winger, any honestly any any position top top guy. I think that'd be massive. So that is number one on my wish list. Yeah, and they definitely need the. You know, we talked about it already. They definitely need another high end guy uh, up front would be preferable. But if they can find another high end right shot defenseman, that would be huge as well. Yes. Because uh, you know, as much as we all love Sue, and I hope he sticks around for a couple of years, he's already 26, 27 years old. I want to say so. It's not like he is incredibly young. He's twenty six right now. So yeah, it's not like he is incredibly young either. You know, like he's got another. I would say three or four years before you really got to start worrying because there's a lot of defensemen into their thirties start to fall off a cliff. So, um, you know, it's, that's another area I think they could definitely focus on, but, um, yeah, definitely with you where if they can get a high end pick and, and this draft looks pretty good. So I, I'm, I'm very excited because I think they could pick anywhere from like first to seventh. And there's definitely an intriguing name that will be on the board. Uh, whether they take that name, I'm not so sure because uh, as you said, they, they kind of like to go off the board quite a yeah. bit and, Sometimes it works out, and other times you pick a Tyler Boucher, which, yeah, he might work out, but to me it reminds me a lot of, uh, and again, I'm, I'm from the Toronto area, which is why I bring up the Leafs so much, the amount of people that loved that Frederick Gauthier pick a couple years ago back in like 2012, 2013, and they loved it because he's like, he's our future 4C, uh, or our 4C of the future. It's like, Ugh. if his upside is a 4C, <laughs> most guys don't hit their upside. So if that is the peak of what you're expecting him to be, Odds are he's a lot worse than that. And obviously, Gauthier ended up playing maybe 100 NHL games, doing absolutely nothing of consequence. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think that's a very fair one. Did you want to go with your second, or should I go? No, you can go ahead. All right. Uh, my second is, uh, I don't even know, this is more of a maybe a subjective one than tangible, but I want better pro scouting from this team mm. in the new year. Uh, I think this is, obviously, we just talked about how much of the depth we would replace. I think this is one of the biggest ways that they can make this team better quick, and that is just picking up better players that are uh, 
not absolutely, I won't say absolutely trash. That's a little mean, um, but stop picking up the Erica Branson, stop picking up the Braden Coburn, stop picking up the Michael Del Zottos. Like go out, if you're going to spend in free agency, go find a guy that actually makes a difference, you know? Um, and, and I'm not saying go sign the Alex Petrangelo of the class or whatever, but even, um, you know, Mike Riley last year signed for, I think four by four with Boston. Like, if Dylan DeMello, like the, the guys that they traded away, if you can go even re-dip on some of those guys or guys like that, that would make this team way better. If you just have an upgrade in the third line left wing, the fourth line right wing, and your second pair right defenseman or whatever, I think that goes a long way just replacing some of the guys who, even if they're not like brutal, they're just replacement level players. Having above replacement level players will go a long way in helping this core five or six young guys on this team. And, uh, so better pro scouting is really what I want to see because I've been extremely underwhelmed with a lot of their NHL uh, acquisitions over the past couple of years. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good one. I had one that was going to be like a bonus pick was just sort of like front office shakeup. Um, so I, that's a good pick there. Um, I can certainly agree with, agree with that. My next pick is going to be a six to eight year extension for Josh Norris. Um, you know, I just think you know, with the tear that he's on right now, you know, I think he's only going to be getting more expensive. So similar to Kachuk, I don't think it would be smart to do a bridge deal. I think getting him signed long-term would be fantastic. And I think he would certainly be willing to stay because he has so many of his buddies playing in here. And if Ottawa is going to pay, you know, six, seven, who knows, maybe even 8 million, um, I'm sure he'd, be more than happy to sign that it'll be interesting to see like how much he asks for and how much he'll actually get because i would say he's a better player than than kachuk but you know batherson's also only making 4.9 i mean that's that's an absolute steal so it's like okay well where do you do you put him like right in the middle i don't know it's hard to say but i think signing him long term is very important for the rebuild yeah, I think with the Norris, I totally agree. I, I think that should be priority number one this offseason is getting him under contract long term. Um, I think with Norris, I don't think he'll be able to get as much as Kachuk because I think it was very obvious the intangibles were a massive part of that Kachuk contract. Um, right or fairly yeah. or unfairly, uh, you know, like I think the fact that everyone and their mother knew that he was getting the captain um, eventually, you know, came I think a month after he signed or whatever. That, that was a massive part of the contract and I think added a couple hundred K, if not a million dollars to what, you know, maybe they thought and just that he was the face of the franchise. Uh, I definitely think that he could add, like, I would like a, I think seven by seven maybe would be an area where I could see yep. both sides kind of settling in on. It's a lot of money, obviously, for Josh Norris, but if he turns into a legit 1C, I think that's good value. But it's not like there's not risk there either. He's been very, very good, um, you know, but at the same time, like... He's, it's been a year and a half, and one of those years was a shortened season. So it's not like we know that this guy is for sure just going to be a, a stud number one center for the next seven years. So the team carries a little bit of risk. Uh, it kind of reminds me of, I wonder if they sign um, uh, kind of like what, uh, I'm blanking on his name, Kyle Turris, sorry, signed out of his uh, yeah. ELC deal. Kyle Turris was five years, uh, 3.5. So it wouldn't be that low of AAV, but if they wanted to go a bridge, I could definitely see him signing you know, five, six years adjusted for inflation and adding a little bit more on, you know, maybe you go five years, $6 million, 5.5, something along there. So uh, yeah, definitely getting Josh Norris under contract for 
uh, you know, five to eight years. I at seven or eight, I think would be ideal. I think you're pretty locked into this core anyway, so just lock it in and go with it. But uh, that that one's definitely should be priority number one this offseason. Absolutely, yeah. And uh, do you want to go with your last pick here? Sure. I had two. I wasn't sure which one I'll go with, but I think you know, talking about keeping Stutzla at center, I think this is. I'm going to go with this one and. Uh, my wish is that in the offseason, they can find a way to sign Claude Giroux in free agency. Mm. Um, there's been a lot of talk about this. I don't really know where it came from that he wants to go to Ottawa. I didn't. Is he from here? I, I didn't really understand that. Well, he's but, from Hearst, uh, right? Hearst, Ontario, uh, I think. I think so. I, I wasn't really sure where that came from, but there's <laughs> been a lot of reports that sounds like he would be kind of open to it. And, um, you know, if they could get a name like that that actually wants to come to Ottawa at the tail end of their rebuild, I, I think that would be massive. He's not quite what he used to be, you know, even in his prime, but he's got 25 points in 29 games this year. He's a leader on and off the ice. And, um, you know, I, I don't think many people know this. He's a winger now. He's not a centerman. I've seen a lot of people kind of slotting him down the middle. Uh, he moved to the wing a couple of years ago, mostly full-time in Philly, and that really revitalized his career. If you could play him alongside Tim Stutzla at center, I I think that would be an absolute dynamic duo that I would love to see. And and I think it would just go kind of a long way to building a little bit more of that fan support back too. You know, like when's the last time a guy actively said he wants to come to Ottawa and it was like a relatively high-end free agent? I, I don't know what a deal looks like for Claude Giroux. Um, he is, I believe he's 34. He's 33. He'll be 33. Uh, January well, actually turning 12. 34 soon. <laughs> yeah, so he'll be 34 by the time he signs this deal. Um, he's played a heavy game. I wouldn't go more than three or four years, but if they could get Claude Giroux under contract at like even a somewhat reasonable number for a couple of years, I, I think that would be huge for the brand, the on-ice product as well. He's still a very, very good player, and, and just the overall morale for the fan base and team. I think it'd be cool. I think you probably have to sign him for like three years and I'd be fine with that. You know, age 35, 36, 37 seasons, uh, you know, hopefully it wouldn't be too much. Like maybe, maybe it'd be in like the five, $6 million range, something like that. But as you're saying, you know, he's been not quite a, a point of game player, but maybe a guy that has been averaging 60 to 70 points the last three seasons, it looks like. And yeah, if you put him with Stutzla, that really would be quite interesting. Um, because, yeah, it would be nice to add just another good veteran player. Um, not just, like, a veteran that happens to be in the NHL. Like, someone that can actually make a bit of an impact. So, that'd be that'd be pretty interesting. I don't... I wouldn't, like, sign him with the intent that, you know, he's going to be one of our best players or that he is going to lead them to even a playoff spot, but... It would be, it would be a big boost, absolutely, especially to their top six. So, um, with my last pick, hmm, let's see. Here. I'm just gonna say, I wish for Jake Sanderson to make a really big impact at the end of the season. Um, you know, even if North Dakota gets eliminated, like even if they go all the way in the final four. I think it was, I can't remember the exact number, but I think he would still be available to play in the last like 16 or 18 games or something for for the Senators. Um, And, you know, there's a good chance they're out before that. So he could be playing up to like 20, 22 games, something like that. Um, I'd be shocked if Ottawa didn't sign him to an entry-level contract to burn that first year. And like I was saying before, expectations are going to be really high, which 
is kind of too bad. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of pressure on him, but I do think he can make that difference. And if he can have an impact of, you know, you saw a guy like Kale McCarr come in a couple years ago in Colorado, and all of a sudden he just transformed their D. I think if he can have some sort of big impact where all of a sudden their top four actually looks a lot more stable, I think that can just go such a long way. So that is that is my third and final wish, um, just for Sanderson to, to look like a really solid NHL player because if they can count on Shabbat, Sanderson, and Zub going into next season, that that really makes their lives a lot easier in the offseason. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good one. And the other thing, too, is with all these postponements, who knows if, you know, they decide to extend the season by a week or two. And that yeah. would obviously really work in, in Ottawa and Sanderson's favorite. I'm glad you mentioned that because the other one that I was debating with the coach Roo is just meaningful hockey, whether that be at the end of this year or, you know, in the next year, too, or like in the next season where it starts at the late 2022. I think it's at the time of the rebuild where, you know, if they win the lottery, that's great. Um, but, you know, I, I want to start seeing them win some games. Uh, sooner rather than later. If it's not this year, I hope it's that 2022-23 season. But uh, I would also say that, you know, seeing a guy like Sanderson come in and make a difference or just look very, even comfortable in the NHL, you know, get his feet wet so he knows what to expect uh, in his first full year when he obviously makes the team next year, that is a meaningful thing as well. And, you know, getting that prospect experience near the end of the year can go a long way and just, you know, helping figure out what it's like, you know, and then get situated uh, I think we saw at times last year, you know, even when your team like Ottawa that's in the bottom five, teams might take you a little lighter. So, you know, you might get the team's backup goalie or a rest day from one or two players or whatever. So it won't be the quite the experience right away, but then you can jump into it. And I think that experience is really good for a player. So, uh, yeah, Jake Sanderson coming in and making, if you know that you have three actual good defensemen, and, and obviously Shabazz, I think, would be an elite defenseman. But if you know you have Zub and Sanderson that are, at the very worst, good behind him. That's a better situation than Ottawa's been in the blue line in over a decade. Like yeah, since we like, went to the finals, maybe. <laughs> literally, like that, and like even this, even you know, like those Eric, like, those Eric Carlson blue lines were bad behind. Yeah. Obviously, Eric Carlson, Mark Mathot there was a, a decent partner, but the 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 three through six was pretty <laughs> ugly on some of those. So yeah, it might have to be 2007, 2008 since you had a blue line like what Ottawa could shape if Sanderson is just even, you know, he doesn't have to be a star out there. He just has to go out, and if he can show he can play, let's say start with 18 minutes and just play them pretty well, I think that would be a massive success for the end of the season. Oh, yeah, massive success for sure. They The bar is pretty low overall, not necessarily for Sanderson, but it just in terms of what we expect from a good defenseman on the second pairing. But um, last question here. Do the Sens finish better or worse than 10th overall in the lottery this year? Because they picked 10th last year. Um, do you think they end up picking better in the draft or worse or like lower in the draft? Mm, that is a good question because I think it'll be right around there. I am going to say, just looking at the standings now, I'm going to say worse, but probably just slightly. I think obviously... The Coyotes are a worse team than them. I think they're going to be right near the Kraken, who have 23 points in 30 games. But I would expect Grubauer to get a little better. He's been so mm -hmm. bad. <laughs> um, 
I think Buffalo, obviously, are going to be right. I think the Canadians are far and gone. That Canadian team sucks. The fact that they made the finals last <laughs> yeah. year is mind-blowing compared to where they are. So I think the Canadians are definitely below them. I think Buffalo will be below them. I think they'll be kind of, oh, but man, even Detroit's got 13-point lead on Ottawa right now, even though they play three <laughs> more games. That's like, funny. that's a lot, eh? Yeah. Uh, I think they'll be, I, I'm going to say lower than 10th overall. I could see them picking in that, like, assuming they don't win the lottery, like, 5th to 8th range probably yeah um and even that even unless they have like a a really really strong push they just they started so poorly that um you know even going five four and one their last 10 has really not gained too much ground so i I don't think they'll be a bottom two or three team but i think they will probably be slightly slightly below that 10th because they went on a real heater to end last year and i just don't see it quite that same degree this year you're right yeah they, they put themselves in such a hole just like last year so it will be a bit hard to you know, have a, it's always interesting whether I say higher or lower, depending on your perspective. <laughs> um, but yeah, it'd be hard to see them getting 11th, 12th, 13th in the draft. They would have to really go on a bit of a bender, but um, you know, despite that, despite the fact that they, they almost certainly won't be a playoff team or, or even close, there's still lots to watch the rest of the season. You know, we were talking about all those top players. Um, so I, I'm still going to keep tuning in. I was definitely quite, you know, just apathetic before these last eight games or so, but they reeled me back in with with some good play. But I think that'll do it for today, though. Uh, anything you'd like to plug, Alex? Um, yeah, you can find me on my other podcast, obviously The Last Word on Sen's podcast. I haven't recorded in about a month either. Uh, I plan on getting an episode out soon, probably in the new year. Uh, the other one you can find me on is the M&M Hockey Podcast. That is with my friend Chase McCallum. Uh, we do more just NHL stuff on there. The Sens focus is on Last Word on Sens. Uh, and then occasionally I write for lastwordonhockey.com as well. Um, I'm trying to get into more writing as the new year. It's been a little slow lately, as I'm sure you can appreciate in the holidays. <laughs> but uh, yeah, if you want to find any of my stuff, you can just follow me on Twitter at NHL Sens and stuff. I uh, post it all there and I, I try and gift Sens games as well if you miss them as well. So I try to have a bunch of the highlights on my page. Uh, but yeah, that's that's about it. Yeah, definitely recommend following you on Twitter for the listeners. Um, your gifts are very valuable, especially especially when I'm recapping games on Silver 7. So um, it's always good to look at those. And yeah, Alex, thanks so much for coming on. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This is an absolute blast. For sure. As I wrap it up, reminder that you can find the Cost Report cast on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. And if you really enjoy it, you can rate and review the podcast on those platforms as well. You can follow me on Twitter at ShackTS, read my articles at Silver7Sends, and also follow my YouTube channel called The Hockey Shack. If you want to submit a listener question for an upcoming episode, send me a message at CPPointCast on Twitter, where you'll get any updates about the show. Happy New Year, everyone. Adios. Adios.